Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Our uh, plan today is just a tour guide through Amos chapter 4. Uh, then we're going to celebrate communion together. Uh, and we'll have some uh, uh, worship as we do so. There are five stations around um, uh, around the uh, uh, worship center here that you, when you're ready, can, um, can go to. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. But first, Amos chapter 4. Um, hear this word. Can we just stop right there, that first phrase? Because I, I don't want to run past it. Hear this word. Um, here in chapter 4, here in chapter 5, next week, and then in chapter 6. God is going to say that phrase. Hear. You need to hear this word. Hear it. God is not giving advice, folks. He's giving a command. He's not like saying, hey, out of the four options here, you probably want to choose C. He's giving a command. And so the, the reason why I think that's important just to say out loud is because sometimes I think... Um, in a, in a world where um, options are kind of our thing, anybody have that? Like that's the thing that you feel best about in your world is when you have options. It's the thing that you most want to pass along to your kid, that they have options. In a world where options are kind of our thing, God comes along and says, hear this word. This is not an option. Hear this word. This is a command. This is not advice that you can take or leave. This is not a choose one. I'm sure it'll work out for you. Okay. This is a command. Hear this word. And God speaks in that way so that you and I can be changed. He does that for our good so that you and I can be changed. Okay. We're three words into chapter four. Here we go. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Can we just pause and celebrate the fact that that's an insult in the Bible? I mean, somehow that feels like crazy funny to me. Um, and, and we'll talk more about them here in just a second. But let's just keep reading. I just, I just think it's funny. Okay. Uh, who, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, and who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. Even the last of you with fish hooks, you shall go out through the breaches, that is the holes in the wall, um, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon. And if you are a writer in your Bible, you can write, that's a trash heap. Okay, Harmon is a, a trash heap there. So I want to talk about two kinds of cows. I need to allude to the one first in order for us to understand um, this first one that appears in the text. In the Old Testament, um, in the history of the people of Israel, we've talked about this kind of every week, but the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel separated in the um, kind of late 900s B.C., and so you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Amos is speaking to, uh, prophesying to the northern kingdom. When they did that, though, they said, hey, we don't want people going down to Jerusalem, where the southern kingdom is, to worship. We're going to create our own worship places. And they did so at Bethel, and they did so at Dan, and they put two temples there, and they put two um, pictures, if you will, uh, um, uh, uh, of what they understood God to be, and they were both... Bulls, cows, made out of gold. Now, if you've been around church at all, can we just pause a second and think? Are there any other moments in the life of the people of God where a golden cow happened? If, that, if you remember that, nod your head. 
If you, if you don't remember, that's okay. But in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and several other things. Um, God looks at him and goes, dude, the people, your people, they've jacked some stuff up. You need to get down there right now. So down he goes, and he's so frustrated that they have made a golden calf that he actually takes the Ten Commandments and he does what you and I would do, like that. He breaks the two tablets that God had written on. So a golden calf is in Israel's history, and now it is being repeated. Okay, so they've got to. So uh, if you were a worshipper of those kind of things, you, you you can kind of identified with that team. What might you call yourself? A cow of Bashan, which was a pleasant valley. And so they were taking it as, hey, we're self-identifying as, hey, we're the cows of Bashan. This is our team. This is going to be great. Amos turns it around to an insult and says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. That's right. And here's what God, through Amos, is taking aim at the rich, elite class of women. And why in particular, verse 1, because um, they oppress the poor, they crush the needy, and they say to your husbands, they so have manipulated and consumed um, that they're saying, hey, bring this that we may drink. So uh, what we have here is that they have, they have demanded, they are taking from people, and they are making sure that the structures are in place so that I am going to benefit at your expense. That doesn't sound at all like love your neighbor as yourself. If you're a formula kind of person, and again, it never frustrates me uh, uh, if you grab your phone and take a picture, but if this is helpful, this is the situation in which they found themselves. Selfishness led to laziness. Now, before we run away from that, does anybody have any idea in your mind that this might be a contemporary problem also? Selfishness led to laziness. Laziness led to entitlement. Entitlement led to injustice, meaning um, I am not acting right towards you. And then lastly, injustice led to oppression. I, I put things in place so that I could continue to get while it continues to cost you. This is why God takes aim. And he says, judgment is coming. And look at how he describes this judgment. Verse 2. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. Even the last of you with fish hooks. They would be conquered and they would be drug away. How? Like slaves. Verse 3. And you shall go out through the breaches. The, the places in the wall where you thought they were going to keep you safe. No, there's just holes there now. They're going to drag you out of there. Each one straight ahead and you shall be cast basically into the dump, into the garbage heap, into the place that nobody actually wants to go. You are the elite of the elite class, top 0.01%. And then you will be conquered and drug out like slaves. Why? Because of this kind of judgment comes because this kind of thing happens. Selfishness, laziness, entitlement, injustice, and oppression. And then he continues, Amos continues, verse 4, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, which is leaven, and proclaim free will offerings 
Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. Here's what he's. Here's the second thing that he's taking aim at. He's got kind of this this uh, this group, uh, this ruling class, this class of elites that is that is oppressive and unjust and making society worse rather than better. Instead of letting the, their blessings be a blessing, they are taking them all in. So he takes aim at that, and then he takes aim at kind of the underlying problem of that, and that is um, a, a kind of false religion. This is the cow. Of Baal or Baal, depending upon how you pronounce it, but the idea is that these golden calves that they had set up and named. Here, here's here's the problem: that pious religion existed in their world, and it did so without any substance at all. The best um, illustration of this that I know, the best picture I want to paint in your mind. Does anybody remember being in like third or fourth grade and doing paper mache? Anybody paper mache? Yeah, that stuff was nasty, man. Like. Ugh. I mean, you get all this paper, and then you get the glue, and then Johnny over here, he's eating it. You're like, don't do that, man. Don't, don't do that. So, paper mache, right? You're going to make a basketball or a balloon or a dragon or a you know, dinosaur, whatever, whatever it is that you're going to make. And you make it, and it dries, and then you paint it, and you do all that kind of stuff. And you're like, hey, I made a dinosaur. But at no point does anybody actually think, oh, dude, that's a real dinosaur. You made a basketball. Oh, it's orange. It's got the black stripes. The whole thing. Like, but at no point do people think, oh, that's a basketball. Because if I bounce a basketball, poof, what happens? It bounces back to me. If I bounce a paper mache thing that looks like a basketball, what happens? It shatters. It can't handle it. Pious religion is exactly like that. The moment pressure gets put on it, the moment something sharp comes at it, the moment it hits the floor, so to speak, it destroys itself. It cannot handle the weight of what it claims to represent and to be. This is pious religion without any substance. Here's what it looks like uh, for them. Come to Bethel, he says in verse 4, and transgress. Bethel, Bethel has a long history in the people of Israel. It's the, it literally is the house of God. That's what Bethel means. But there's no God there. Bethel is the place that Jacob had his vision of the ladder and the angels um, ascending and descending. And one like the Son of Man there. So Bethel is the house of God, but there's no God in that place. Come and transgress, it says. Or to Gilgal and multiply your transgressions. Gilgal, also really important place in the history of the people of Israel. Um, when Joshua led the people across the Jordan River um, and they began the conquest of the promised land in Joshua chapter 4, they took stones out of the middle of the Jordan River and they set up a, t- a, a, a monument there at a place called Gilgal. And they did so, they did so because they wanted to remember, they wanted to remember all, oh man, so important. They wanted to remember all of the things that God had done. But, but, Gilgal had become a monument without a meaning. Sweet girl. Sweet dad, too. Pious religion. Well, can we just pause here for a second? Like, this is family, yeah? My kids have screamed too. Yours? Okay, good. All right. If you're not watching, I mean, if you are watching at home, kids scream, man. That stuff happens. Uh, Okay. Pious religion uh, without any substance. And further, when they came to worship, their transgressions, their sin actually increased. Come to Bethel, transgress. 
Gilgal, multiply transgression. What did that look like? Worship, their, their worship actually increased sin at the um, middle of chapter, uh, verse 4, sorry. Bring your sacrifices every morning. So here are sacrifices that cost us nothing. Worship that costs us nothing doesn't transform us. Worship that costs us nothing doesn't get us in touch with God. Worship that costs us nothing distances us from the God who is. And bring your tithes every three days. A, a, a kind of giving without joy or generosity that says, Hey God, you did pretty good here. Here's my 10% tip. You know, normally I'd give 15, but honestly, inflation's pretty bad. Gas is at 419 right now. And, uh, you know, I mean, your service wasn't awesome. So 10% will do. 5% today. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened. Worship on their own terms. Leavened bread, not unleavened. And proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for so you love to do. In other words, uh, they, they had the wrong audience in worship. Hey, I'm doing this. Everybody watching? You watching? You watching? And so the attention that they wanted was the only reward that they got. It was a worship that increased their sin and brought them, uh, excuse me, instead of bringing them closer to God, provided for them, enforced even on them greater distance from God. So, so what does God do? Just let that stand? No. No, no. Verse 6. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter here. And I just want to identify these things. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Can we just pause here? Uh, cleanness of teeth, the way that he's talking about it here, is not you going to the dentist and getting your teeth. This is not that moment, okay? You're not getting a pet. This is bad. This is famine. Cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you. So drought, when there were yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which did not rain, it would wither. So two or three cities would wander, have, to, have to wander to another city to drink water, would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. I struck you with blight and mildew, plant disease. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, locusts. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence, that's a disease. After the manner of Egypt, here's war, I killed young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you, destruction, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. That's not going to be pleasant, by the way, for them. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind declares to man um, what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Here... here God didn't just let this stuff stand. Pious religion, judgment comes. Hear this, judgment is coming. Pious religion, injustice. He's not letting this stuff stand. He sends all of these warnings. Famine, drought, crop disease, locusts, the, uh, like personal disease, war, destruction. If you're under nine years old, how many, how many things do you see up here? One, two, three, four. How many do you see? Seven. 
Seven ringing a bell to anybody? This is the perfect, this is like the fullness of judgment. Amos is saying, God did all this stuff so that you would pay attention. The fullness of it all. And did you? No, you did not. So prepare to meet your God. That's what he says. Prepare to meet your God. But that's not the end of the story. It's just not. Because God continues to call. Yes, He sent warnings. Yes, He fired shots across the bow to say, don't do this. Don't do it. Yes, He sent the prophet. Yes, there were circumstances that He wanted to redirect, to use, to redirect His people. And where did He want them to go? Back to Him. The title of the message today is the God of return because His Heart is for your return, for my return. His heart is returned. How do you know? How do you know this is the case? Just go back to verse 6, the very last phrase of verse 6. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 8, you did not return to me. Verse 9, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 11, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. God is just over and over and over again saying, I did these things for what reason? So that you would return. I did these things to, to get your attention so that you would return. I did these things to, for you to lock in, to be shaken from your slumber, to kind of come stumbling out of the darkness so that you, you would return. That is His heart for you, for me, for the people of Israel here, and for the church today. Let us be a people who return. His heart is for return. How do I know? It's right here. It's the refrain of Amos' prophecy. It's the chorus of the song, so to speak. It's the thing that gets repeated. Amos, I want you to return. I want you to return. I want you to return. How about earlier, the, 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 mess, the um, scripture reading from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. Again, this isn't, uh, uh, this isn't all of it, but just listen to verse 30 and 31. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in these latter days. So Moses is talking about the things that Amos is, is prophesying now. Uh, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. And for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with the, uh, your fathers that He has made. How do you know? Well, it's the refrain of the chapter. It's the promise that God made even back in Deuteronomy. And the contemporary prophet, Hosea. So Amos was going to the northern kingdom. Hosea um, was prophesying also. Um, and Hosea, the whole picture, if you've been around church, you know the picture. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the picture is Hosea marries a prostitute. Um, and he, she ultimately runs off on him multiple times. And he's drawing back, drawing back, drawing back. And the whole point of the picture of, of Hosea's life and his relationship with Gomer is God's relationship with the people of Israel. And he's trying to draw them back and draw them back. Yes, you are committing abomination. You are committing sin. But I want you back. I want you back. His heart is for return. The most famous parable in the Bible, probably the most famous parable ever told, is the story of the prodigal son. If you've been around church, maybe you know the story, but if not, you've got a son who basically looks at his dad and goes, hey, I wish you were dead. 
can you just give me the inheritance now? So he does. And off he goes. Found a travel brochure and off he went. He was great there for a while. But ultimately he ran out of money. And this poor Jewish boy had to end up slopping pigs. And the Bible says this, that he finally came to his senses. And he began to turn home. And as he began shuffling down the road, smelling like pig slop and sweat from a long journey. This is the part that slays me. The Bible is when Jesus tells this parable, it says, while he was still a long way off. Meaning what? The father had to be looking for him. Why? Because his heart is for return. While he was still a long way off. I don't know what the first century people had in their mind as Jesus was telling the story. This is how it goes in my mind. The father sees him. He's like way off. He's like, dude, I know that wall. I know that wall. And so the father, like, I don't know what it took for him to start running, but like hikes up his robe, is like holding on, and off he goes as as fast as his legs can carry him. And somewhere in the 8 to 10 foot range, when he's still far away, the son's looking like, oh my word, dad's running. Oh, good. Somewhere in the 8 to 10 foot range, the dad goes from running to full on Superman, horizontal, parallel to the surface of the earth. And the the, the scripture says he fell on his neck. That's the literal translation. In this embrace. So glad you're home. Hugs. Kisses. A party. Before the speech happened, before the, the, uh, hey, you know, let let me clean myself up here. I need a shower, Dad. You don't want to, I mean, Dad was like, forget it. I don't care. You came home. And Peter, three times Peter denied Jesus. Ah, you're one of them, right? Nope, not me. Oh, no, 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 no. I've seen you with him. Not me. You talk just like him. You have to be one. Not me. Not me. And then three times in John chapter 21, Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Good. We've got business to tend to. Take care of my sheep. Peter, look at me. Look at me. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Good. There's important things that we have to set our hand to here. Feed my lambs. Peter, look at me. Look at me. Do you love me? Three times. Jesus, this is getting a little awkward here. Three times. Three times in denial. Three times in affirmation. Lord, you know that I love you. Good. Tend my sheep. His heart. Jesus didn't leave anything left undone with Peter. And the one who was a coward on the Thursday before Jesus got crucified was the one who was the spokesman 50 days later at Pentecost. His heart is for return. So the question then is, like, how, how do I know that this is God's heart? Well, here's all this, but like, how do I know that I can return? Because that's good for Peter. He's an apostle. Hosea, I mean, he was kind of a prophet, and God kind of used him, and this is the deal. Okay, so like, but what about the rest of it? Like, what about me? 
Because the stuff that I have, the, the stuff that's in my bag, the stuff that I'm toting around, what about me? Do you think that his heart is returned for me? And the answer to that is, absolutely. But listen, it won't be by your own ability. And it won't be by your own action. It will be fully and solely by his grace. That's it. Not because of what you can do, but because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what you can say, but because of what Jesus has done. Alistair Begg is a, well, it was, anyway, a pastor in Ohio, and I think he's still ministering. I'm not sure if he's still at his um, church or not, but he's Scottish. So I'm going to give you the best two minutes here on this. And it sounds really cool because he's Scottish, and that's unfair anyway, right? But the best two minutes on return. God's heart for return. Listen to Alistair Begg. If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You'd never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What? What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, were you, uh, uh, did, uh, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Then you'll get the supervisor ranger. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? I said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. His heart is for return. Not on the basis of what you can do. Not on the basis of what you can say. His heart is for return. And the only reason we come back is because the man on the middle cross said we could come. We've come into a time of communion. We will al allow ourselves space here to sing and to celebrate and to remember. Five stations around so that you can come. He's invited you to come, to return. There will be deacons at each one. Let me offer that if you need prayer today, you just grab one of them. They'll, they'll be so happy to pray for you. We won't be in a hurry. When you and your family are ready, feel free to do that. Church family, if there's somebody around you who may need some help getting to the elements, you feel free to help them. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll...
sing and celebrate and remember together. Why don't you take a second, if you need to say anything to the Lord right now, you go ahead and say so. something you need to confess, if there's something you need to ask him for, whatever you need, just take a moment. There will be be a a wafer in there symbolizing the bread that was broken. It's a reminder that Jesus was broken. not, Not because he was broken in and of himself, but because he took our brokenness. All the stuff that's jacked up in our life and in our world. Guilt, shame, devastation, injustice, oppression. He took it all on himself that he can make all things new and make the world right. And there will be a cup, and that juice symbolizes the blood that was shed. It is the basis of our forgiveness. Not, We're not forgiven today because of what we can say, how we can confess, or making sure that we show up in the right place at the right time. We're forgiven today because of what Jesus has done. Father, we recognize that this is a moment to celebrate and to remember. Would you help us now as we step forward into this? Be honored. And and would you strengthen us with this remembrance? This is what we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. This is how